Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, multidimensional healer and empowerment coach, specializing in helping heart-centered high achievers like you to shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow impact-driven visionaries to energize you into living your bold. The only question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Them Bolden. Hello, listeners. I am very excited to be introducing somebody new to me, and I'm very excited to learn from her. Margaret Mary O'Connor has a Bachelor of Science degree from the University of Buffalo, right in my backyard, and a master, Master's of Art in Pastoral Ministry from Christ the King Seminary in East Aurora, New York. She is a former chaplain and currently a Eucharistic minister. She literally walks the walk on picket lines to help keep the issue, the issues of women's ordination and church accountability on the priest's sexual abuse issue at the forefront of any Catholic's attention. She believes any Catholic deserves at minimal at least the truth from Rome, as opposed to the continual outright deception they have been they have they are receiving. She is also a member of the Call to Action, Future Church, Roman Catholic Women Priests, Women's Ordination Conference, and SNAP, Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Locally, she's a member of the Buffalo Central Terminal, Preservation Buffalo Niagara, Western New York Land Conservation, uh, Conservation, how do you say it? Conser- okay. Conservancy. There we go. Oh, my goodness. I know, I know that word. I promise. <laughs> Margaret Mary is the recipient of the special award for achievement from the Dale Carnegie public speaking course. She also enjoys gardening, Pilates and reading mystery books because she's not busy enough. Welcome, Margaret Mary. I'm so excited to have you here. I'd love to know how you're doing today. What's alive for you and who you are today? Well, thank you very much, Angelica. It's such a um a treat to be here. Um, this morning, I was out on a walk. And I guess I, I want to think of it as being in the present moment. Mm. Um, I saw some deer, um, wild turkey, of course, rabbits. But just seeing something like that really takes you out of your preoccupation, whatever it is, and it brings you back into that present moment. Mm. And um I really find something like that so special. So uh, that was a wonderful way, you know, to start my morning. Mm, that is beautiful. It, it's interesting because I had dreams of deer. So I, I got a little bit of chills when you shared that. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a lovely walk. Well, Margaret, this is as we were, we, we just met and just before we hopped on and hit that record button, I was telling you how. I guess to, to give you even more information, I've very much been, uh, even as a child, very in tune. I like to use the word intuitive. And, you know, I, I guess one would say like one with God, one with the universe, uh, all of all of that stuff, mm-hmm. one with source. And, you know, I grew up very Catholic. I received, you know, I was baptized. I had my first communion. But somewhere between my first communion and when I was set to, um, I guess around adolescence, around adolescence, I came to realize that the church that I had been a part of would not let me become a leader in that church. And I had told my father, I don't want to go to, to mass anymore because why would I want to be a part of something that sees me less than why would I want to be a part of something that I couldn't lead? Um, and to that, he, he couldn't disagree with my logic. So, so of course I, I went, went on and through life experience came up with my, with my own, um, sort of spiritual beliefs and, and that has worked well for me, but this is something that you have become passionate about and something you've been speaking to and advocating for. I'd love to know where, I guess, tell me from the beginning, where did all this start for you? And I'd love to know more about what history and truth 
actually is versus what we've been told for centuries. Oh, definitely. And it's so exciting to hear what you had, your realization, which really um, says it all. Well, back uh, when I was uh, small, my mother bought a cardboard replica of a church altar for my brother, Paul. It was his birthday gift. Mm -hmm. So I was a twin. So myself and my twin sister, Pat, we grabbed two chairs and we sat in front of this altar. And Paul, of course, played the priest. And everything was going along all right. And I remember, I was maybe only about four or five. I jumped up, Paul, I want to be the priest. And did I ever learn from an early age that there was a difference between boys and girls, you know, what they could do? Because Paul said, no, you're girls. You have to be a man. Only a man can be a priest. So that, in a sense, was really my first uh, introduction. And then my mom was a church organist. And it was shortly after the time that she bought that altar that um, she said to both of us, would you like to go and stand on the altar? She had choir practice, and I think it was a Tuesday evening. So after the choir practice ended, she took us down the center aisle. And again, we're small. We're getting excited. We're going to be up on that altar standing. And... um, I remember I basically just got behind the altar and sort of situated myself. And I was looking out and thinking, oh, this must be neat on the weekends to be standing there. And there's like all those, um, you know, people in the pews. Because on the weekends, as a little girl, I was sitting up in the choir loft Mm -hmm. looking down at the congregation. But anyway, that moment that I thought this is neat was basically robbed from me because all of a sudden I hear this gruff voice. What are those girls doing on the altar? And and then I got nervous because I thought, oh my God, I got my mother in trouble because it was that Monsignor that hired her, you know, for the position. Mm. And uh, she looked at him and my mom wasn't one to rock the boat, but Mm. she said to him, She said, oh, that's right. Unless women are cleaning uh, the altar, then they can be up on the altar. He turned around and he just walked out. Wow. But I did ask my mom years later, I said, I said, what gave you the courage? You know, and she said, well, I knew it just wasn't right. Wow. So, um. Anyway, that that was my beginning, you know, uh, circumstances. And then as I grew uh, through the years, I kept hearing what I would call rumors that there were women priests. And yet there was nowhere. I went to the seminary and I thought, oh, they have a good research library. But of course, (laughs) I I should have known that that material wouldn't be in that library. So anyway... um, I read a gazillion books, but it was not until I got on the books that contained biblical research. And there's a book by John Vinsgaard's The Ordination of Woman in the Catholic Church, or Gary Macy, um, The Hidden History of a Woman Priest. Uh, you read books like that, and then through that biblical research, you find actual evidence. So what we're talking about today for your listeners that I know there's just, it's so sad. There's so many women here in the U.S. or worldwide uh, that have never heard this. There were women priests in our church. And it's ironic when you look back as a young girl, you probably remember if there was one emphatic rule that you knew there were never any woman priest. Mm-hmm. A woman couldn't be allowed to be priest on the altar. Yeah. So I was reading this one thing, and it told of the most famous woman priest in the Catholic Church. So you have to remember, we actually had woman priests, bishops, and deacons within our early past Catholic history. 
But this, I'll call it a cherry. Oh, it was the most wonderful news. Mary, mother of God, was a woman priest. She was called Mary Priest. And her title, again, thinking back that, gee, there never were women priests. Her title was the model for all priesthood in the Catholic Church. Well, I had the book. I threw the book here. Then I had to pick it up and find, did I I just read or see what I saw? I mean, I was really, it was wonderful. But then there was um, that, that wonderfulness disappeared because there was this awful realization that my church had betrayed my trust. Right. And that, of course, applies not only to me, to you, to every woman here in the U.S. and worldwide. And especially today, with the awful priest shortage, Mm -hmm. we need women in our church more than ever. Mm -hmm. But getting back to your question uh, about, you know, women in, in the early history of the church, I want to go back and try to answer the question because I started thinking, well, wait a minute. I was baptized the same as a little baby boy. The priest would give the same prayers. We received the same blessing, anointing. Well, then why is it after confirmation, there's like a line drawn across. And if I received a call or any other woman from God to serve, well, no you basically would have to leave the church, you know, and go to another um, denomination. Mm -hmm. But then I started thinking, where exactly did this awful inequality Mm. of woman begin with? Okay, you have to go way back into the early church history. And you think of Rome, of course, you think of they had a lot of big armies and the money. Mm-hmm. They were the first ones really to start up any type of a, a law system. And they had a civil law, of course, which was very demeaning to women. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to remember at the same time that that law system um, treated women like nothing, there were theologians from the church living in that same area. So let's pretend it's in Buffalo, New York. And we're under such oppression. And there's church theologians from our church that are, they're living with this. They know this. They're in this particular culture. So what do these theologians do? John Vinchgaard said they basically took that Roman law and they shaped it into church law. Mm. Well, let's face it, women already have 10 strikes against them. Mm-hmm. And that's where this, um, the, the hideousy of uh, how they saw a woman uh, as not even uh, equal began. They saw woman as very inferior. And of course, they saw one woman as being sinful because of the sin of Eve. Mm-hmm. You know, even though Adam was there, it was basically that was all she's the one that, you know, tempted him. Right. And then they as well, um, Angelica, I can't believe it. They had twisted thoughts regarding um, a woman's monthly menstruation. Mm-hmm. And they saw that as a perfect excuse. Well, we can't let women up on a church altar. In that condition, mm. okay, they had, um, oh, I I'm trying to think of his name. He was a canon lawyer, and um, he basically was calling women everything and anything. They were she-wolves. They were night devils. They were witches. They were prostitutes. They were whores. And again, it was all the woman's fault for attempting the men. Then you get into more uh, canon lawyers, and again, with the idea of the uh, revulsion of blood, if it was that time of the month, 
and there was an awful thunderstorm out, if that uh, lightning could hit the blood, that would stop the storm. But if a woman's blood ever was anywhere around the crops outside, they would wither. If you were inside your house, your like mayor would do something and as well your um, silverware, uh, your dog would go wild. And I mean, we might, you know, think, well, th this is comical. This was, you know, back in the, the dark ages, the medieval ages. But seriously, if you look at this today, and that same thought process is there, then of course it isn't funny at all. And St. Thomas Aquinas, um, you've probably heard that uh, one of the reasons that women can't be priests is because they were not made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Well, he believed women were made in the image of God to the extent that they too had a brain. Mm. But God ruled that only men, not women, would have the capacity in so many words to use their brains. Mm. And getting back to women, why women can't be priests, there's five biblical reasons which have been proven to be cultural prejudiced. And again, we go back to woman being not made in the image of God. And here you have St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, giving his particular views. And then, uh, of course, it was believed that woman carried the sin of uh, Eve. Well, let's face it, if a woman have sinned, they're not the most stellar candidates for the priesthood. <laughs> and then um, also... They um, said that from St. Paul that women should not be able to teach out in public, but there was actually a civil law. There was a particular condition. And of course, women had this particular condition. They were very feeble-minded mm. and they were emotionally unstable. Mm. So how can you let a woman like that out in the public arena to teach. Mm -hmm. But again, this, this is just complete craziness. And then, of course, Jesus picked only the 12 apostles. Well, that was taken by theologians centuries after Jesus died. They looked at that to mean explicitly that Jesus meant that there never should be woman priest, where in fact, if you look at the culture that Jesus lived in, uh, ancient Israel was purely patristic in nature. And Jesus obviously had a workout of the time and the culture that surrounded him. So he picked the uh, 12 men. It was like a symbolic thing to represent the, um, the 12 older original tribes. Mm. But it was never meant... Um, to be something that, well, this look at this says that we can never have woman priest. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, of course, Jesus was a man. So at the consecration, um, they believed you have to have a male on the altar. But again, all of these are cultural prejudice based. None of them are biblical. So my question is, why hasn't our church hierarchy come out with an, uh, some type of a pronouncement? We're sorry, but we were wrong. Mm. And of course, sadly, um, there's been nothing. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for all of that. You know, it's, <laughs> I'm listening to you and I'm finding myself all riled up here <laughs> and, and, and I don't know. So you know, as I shared with time. And as I, I grew older, I found my own spirituality, my, my own in, intuitive gifts grew and found me seeking mentors and, and teachers of the like. And through that process, and I'd be curious to know if you've, you've stumbled across this too, is this belief that, 
uh, and it, it's not necessarily Catholic, but but universal, I suppose, if if you will, that women are ha- have untapped power within them. I mean, we we create life. We 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 grow life inside of us, inside of our womb space. And it would, you know, it, as you were going, as you were speaking to the ideas and the beliefs of the early church that women's blood could ruin crops, this new belief is that women's blood, I shouldn't say new belief, but new, new uh, belief that actually is based in ancient wisdom, as they claim, uh, that menstrual blood is actually good for the earth, good for the crops. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm curious. And, and again, like we have this, unta- our, our womb space is full of, we actually from Bolden did an episode with my friend, Anne Marie Paul, who does a lot of uh, healing work for individual women and to the collective regarding women tapping back into their power because of this oppression, utilizing their womb space and healing that area. Um, and it, you know, we have this just creative potential within us and, and it's those emotions that we're seen as, uh, discordant that actually could bring back earth the way it was intended through, through, you know, I guess if you, if you could venture, venture to say God's will, right. To have a peaceful earth here. Um, I'm curious to know if, if that's something that you've heard about and, and what do you think, you know, even if you haven't heard of this, what do you think was the, the moment or, or moments that led to women being admired and adored to women being oppressed? Well, what, unfortunately, after Jesus died, of course, the church didn't uh, uh, follow the, the way he wanted it. Uh, we know women were with, with Jesus very much, uh, you know, on his journeys when he gave his, his talks and helped prepare his meals and uh, were as well in the ministerial f- field of, you know, like being women priests and deacons. Um I think the big thing was uh, when the church introduced the concept of uh, celibacy. Mm. And it was a way that, again, they were getting away from, let's face it, the idea of breaking the bread, something so simple, Mm -hmm. something so personal. And now they're looking at acquiring land. Mm -hmm. If a man was in, in, in the wanted to be a priest, um, he would give his land to the church. So right there, that's money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if a man was married, if he dies, well, that, that woman might, of course, I don't know exactly how the laws go, but there were times that uh, probably if she was rich, she would have the power to uh, to get his holdings, where again, if, if she wasn't rich, then probably there wouldn't even be an issue. Mm-hmm. But again, it's so sad. It's this this idea of um, monetary of money, mm-hmm. and as well of uh, of power mm-hmm. that, that they um, were just so much superior to women. You know, we were inferior. We were unclean. Mm-hmm. We were were um, sinful. Mm-hmm. But I, I think maybe that's how it originally it took off the distinction between the power, you know, and um... yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, and and I've heard as far and as as I don't know if severe is the right word, but um, as big as men were fearful of how powerful we were, so they utilized that to to get their own kind of power by diminishing us and, and creating laws to, to really, sh- in a way, shun us. Um, so. Oh, definitely. I, they, they just uh, diminished mm-hmm. a woman and you know how they finally did it. Uh, they came up with a, a law. Uh, we know when Jesus was alive, there was no canon law, which is church law. And this canon law very cleverly, made a statement that uh, in order to be like a, a, a priest, um, you obviously uh, had to be able to go up on the altar. Mm-hmm. 
but they completely forbid women mm-hmm. from being on the altar. So that really, you know, mm-hmm. diminished finally their roles. But it's just so sad to think that over the centuries, I know if something uh, isn't allowed, obviously it, it, it fades. And of course the scribes didn't have to then uh, present it. But back in the year 2000, there were three studies on uh, women in the church, women's ordination. So the hierarchy, excuse me, the hierarchy certainly knew of this biblical research. So you can't say that they didn't know about this and they, they really haven't lied to us because this was all put in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So you had mentioned you, you, you daydream and you, you pray for the day that the church apologizes and changes things. Why haven't they yet? Because unfortunately they have all of the power. They are in the driver's seat and by them coming out centuries ago, making the pronouncement that look at there never were women priests in our church's history. So in other words, that is a complete non-issue. Mm. So what does that mean? They are not hounded by reporters, <laughs> people asking questions. Mm. And it's very sad, but even Pope Francis came out with a book on heaven and earth back in 2010. And in there, he basically mentioned that women gained uh, the like rights that they were looking for uh, back when women received the right for suffrage. Oh, well, hello. Um, what about the, uh, the inequality of women today presently within the church? And see, that's the the main part. That issue of our inequality is not even on the radar of the hierarchy. Okay, so I'm thinking the only way that that's going to change is to have the average everyday person, the laity that sit in the pews, to have them come to understand this wonderful truth of woman's past history. And I'll tell you, when I'm out there picketing, mm-hmm. you know this is their first encounter. And basically, <laughs> they're probably looking, they are, they're looking at me as a, some sort of a lunatic. Mm-hmm. And they're they start, some people really get irate. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll shout, um, they'll tell me uh, some disparaging words, they'll call me <laughs> being polite. Um, but it's like almost like a brick wall. They'll come out specifically and say to me, well, you're not telling the truth. Mm. And um, this isn't in the Bible. And I'll you know, have to say, yes, you're right. It isn't in the Bible, but it's in biblical research. Mm-hmm. And for many right there, because it's not in the Bible, maybe it's like an excuse well, what you're saying doesn't mean anything. It has absolutely no relevance. And so many times, even when I explain the biblical research, um, woman's uh, ordination came out with um, a wonderful thing about four pictures. And they had like a woman deacon, a woman priest, a woman bishop. And they like would give the name of the, of the party. Where is, you know... Um, Sophia, of course, she was uh, a deacon mentioned by um, St. Paul. And um, they would give the ages, you know, um, and it was they were in color. And so, of course, they had the garb on and everything like religious garb. And I that's one of my picket signs that I have. And it is that you do get people that will come over and look. Mm. But not that many. I get excited when younger people come, but there again, it's so sad that you don't have the mass of young people attending church. Mm-hmm. So, so many times it's the, um, 
older people are the only ones there. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, but the few times that there are younger ones, I, I give them the names, you know, of all the books and I tell them, um, read this biblical research because they just can't seem to understand that they hear the truth. And instead of maybe trying to take it in and see how wonderful it is, they're completely missing out on what I'm trying to do. And that message of, which of course would put them over the top. If I, if I never even get to marry being a priest, I have like bring back the uh, original woman um, uh, priests, deacons and bishops. Because I know if I start out with Mother Mary, <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> they'll be throwing who knows what. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it's so sad. But it, that's why for your listeners, tell your other family members, tell your neighbors, mm-hmm. uh, because th- this is the only way, uh, unfortunately, the truth is going to get out. But yeah. Angelica, something as simple, can you imagine if every Catholic across the United States, uh, any faith denomination as well, if you had a postcard, just write on there back in, um, well, they don't have to say 1976, but in 1976, the Pope's own Pontifical Biblical Commission looked into the fact of women being priest in our church. And their study found there's absolutely no reason why women can't be ordained. Mm. Well, that was 1976. Hello. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so getting back to that postcard, why can't women be priests today in the Catholic Church if the Pope's own commission has said that there's no reason why they can't? Mm-hmm. Because you need some type of a mass, let's face it, numbers talk mm-hmm. to really get them to ever be held accountable and to come forward. But I think finally, uh, the pre-shortage is definitely finally going to be the thing mm. that's going to move uh, the issue of women being priest. Mm. Because mm-hmm. there's just such a shortage. Yeah, yeah. You know, as you were as you were sharing your experiences with picketing, I had multiple you know thoughts arise. The first being is is often we talk about unfolded and how as we grow older, we realize we're not living the life we want to live because we were ingrained early on to have certain beliefs. And this seems no different, right? So, so as you were sharing, um, really the resistance that you experience from other church members as you're picketing, it reminded me of your first experience with resistance when you read that Mother Mary was a priest and you threw the book up in the air because your your whole belief system was rocked and, and turned upside down. And, and your first thought was, well, is this really true? And if you, you know, I'm sure... If that, if be, being a Catholic is so much of an identity, especially as you're you're older, and you had mentioned most of the people that you're talking to are those that are older because the younger generations have left the church, right. probably for this very reason or other reasons included. Um, it, it, it's it's you're, it's almost like a threat to their identity, right? At the same time, so of course there's going to be be resistance, um, and I I. I'd be very curious to know your thoughts, especially as women's rights are being even more threatened this day and age compared to the 70s, you know, with the recent Supreme Court ruling and, and everything else that we're experiencing, how I, I, I would love to know if, if this, and I hope it's, it's my, my, my prayer and my hope that this, this does happen, that women do obtain the right to be ordained in the Catholic Church. Once Rome accepts this truth and admits to this truth and allows this truth, how is that going to shift women's rights and how women's women are being seen, at least in the U.S.? Well, I think it, it would be a major shift. 
And as well, even within a family, if, mm-hmm. if you still had younger families going to church and there was a girl, you know, that's that's out in the pews and is actually seeing another woman up mm-hmm. on the altar. But I guess it's just such a sad feeling, uh, the realization of, um, of this inequality and how these men... Um, and some of them I do call them so-called uh, men of God, how um, they just turn their backs. They have just literally turned their backs on a woman. And that again, that they are so superior and women are inferior. And if we can obviously change that, then it's just one thing within one parish, but how many parishes are there like within the whole country and then take that across over into Europe, uh, into um, the Philippines, anywhere, South America, uh, this whole idea of woman being uh, inferior would start changing. Mm. I think it would be a massive shift. Oh yeah, absolutely. And in ways that maybe we can't even fathom. Right. You know, there, my, my husband's a pharmacist and he works for a telemedicine company that primarily uh, dispenses birth control to otherwise underserved areas or mm-hmm. areas in which there's a, um, uh, t- it's taboo, right? Or you can't get birth control because that that's against, you know, that's, that's what, not what God wants and, and that sort of thing. And he was sharing with me that since the Supreme Court ruling, there and I promise there's <laughs> there's a point to this. There's there's been a uh, an influx of doctors who refuse to prescribe a medication called methyltrexate. Methyltrexate is typically used for rheumatoid arthritis, but it's considered an X category for drugs, meaning it can terminate a pregnancy if taken by somebody who is pregnant. So since the Supreme Court ruling, there are doctors who are refusing to give this medication to any to any women because or I guess at all, because I suppose a, a man could could get it prescribed and then give it to to their partners or, or what have you, because they could terminate their pregnancy with it. And now they have law, legal ground to do so. But again, I think that could this step that oh, yeah. is stemming back all the way to this. And, and the, the marginalization of women, right? If, if, if this, what, if we weren't less than people wouldn't be suffering. I mean, even just this little, it's, it's spirals, right? It's, it's just a, a a domino effect. And now I guess there's even, and I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. I'm Margaret Mary. I'm, I'm also a physician assistant. So there's some, I like, I like to mix science and spirit on this show, but there's also, and I'm not familiar with it, but I guess there is a, um, a, and I, I don't know. I don't, and again, I don't know what the mechanism of action is, but there are individuals within special needs populations who need this methyltrexate and it might not be for arthritis. It could be used for a, another, um, mm-hmm. another reason who are not getting it because their doctors are refusing all because of, of the Supreme court ruling. And now they have legal ground because women are marginalized and seen as lesser than, and Mary, Mary mother of God was the first priest. <laughs> Like, I just wanted to make, I always like coming full circle here, yeah. um, but it's, it's, it's just, again, if this shifts, because let's face it, we say that we're separate, we're, we're a separation of church and state, but that has not been the case since you said early church times when the mm-hmm. theologian said, well, let's put civil law and, and church law together. Um, so anyways, I'm on, I'll get off my soapbox, but yeah, no, I think I think it's it, it really is disturbing. And um, all I can say is that uh, any woman, uh, they better get out and vote. Yes, I know. definitely. They have to to mm-hmm. vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's it's challenging, though, that that brings up the next or not the next. But but what we just talked about, too, is if you're growing up in within the Catholic Church with the, this ingrained in you that you're less than it's very challenging to shift out of that or to, 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 
to, I, and I'm very grateful because my parents were very much open-minded, oh, they even were. though we grew up in yeah. the Catholic church, you know? So I, I had the ability to think for myself, but that's, that's, you know, shut down very early on. And your I'm, I'm, you know, your mother having the bravery to share that with, with the priest that told you, you couldn't be on the, the altar because you were a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it takes having a parent or someone who loves you to tell you that it's not right versus having the authority fi- other authority figures telling you this is how it is and you'll right. believe it, you know? Oh gosh. Now I'm all well, worked up. If people could only just step back yeah, and, and, and try to see that a woman priest is that some adversarial figure. Oh my God. I mean, it would just, if our Catholic church ever needs a shot in the arm, this is the time. And going back to Vatican II, I I just thought that was so wonderful because Pope John the 23rd said, it's time that the church open up its windows and see the signs of the times. And their whole, uh, it was so unfortunate um, the PR for that just got so distorted. But the mass that we have today is the closest to what the mass was uh, in the early uh, Christian centuries. Mm. And it's too bad, but there's a divide. There, there's a group of Catholics that um, are so enthralled with the Latin mass, which appeared in the 16th century. And they were really upset when Vatican II came in because Latin, the language changed from Latin back to English. Mm. But they have to remember before Latin, the language was Greek. (laughs) So there are slowly, but there are changes. And, And the whole thing with Vatican II is getting to full participation, that everyone, the laity should be involved. And like sharing, in other words, the, the, the priest, um, uh, the religious field shouldn't be like separate to the to the everyday person out, you know, in the pew. Mm-hmm. And you just see it through some of the bishops uh, rulings. They're very, um, very close minded mm-hmm. um, and they're causing such distance dissension dissension when (laughs) of all times we need help i mean really Mm -hmm. our church needs help and Mm -hmm. uh, i do see unfortunately the the pre-shortage that that is going to be it so if you have any idea out there that you 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 want to speak up please remember that there is uh church law that says, as a member of the laity, you have every right mm. to speak out on matters of importance. Mm. So you're not doing something wrong. Oh, yeah. Thank you for giving that permission. That's that's everything. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm all worked up now. <laughs> I know. I mean, it, it's just so incredibly... There's so much insanity. I don't know what yeah. other word to use. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I, I venture to say hypocrisy because I, I, I always go back to Jesus's teaching and this is something, you know, when I was in, I went to Catholic middle school and Catholic high school. So I, I always say oh, wow. it, it was, it was going to Catholic middle school and Catholic high school that made me leave the Catholic church because then I, I was very, and I, you know, again, my parents were so good about showing me how to think for myself. I, I noticed the hypocrisy between the lines. Here you are in the Bible, Jesus saying, love everybody. He, there he is, you know, practicing with, with lepers and taking care of them. But, you know, here women can't be priests and uh, people who have love for the same sex can't get married. What do you mean you can't love everybody? What, you're going against what you say. And then I, I, you know, you can always tell the people who just go to Catholic church and never actually studied the Bible. And they, that's their first, their first, uh, I guess, defense is, well, it's not in the Bible. And, yes. and, and I always say, well, potatoes aren't in the Bible either, <laughs> you know? but 
but you still eat them. I bet, I bet you really enjoy French fries. You know, it's, it's just like there's, uh, or, you know, ta- tattoos, right. Tattoos were considered, um, a, a mortal sin and you've got a, a tattoo of your, your, the cross on your, your arm, you know? So, um, yeah, I could go on and on, but, um, Oh goodness, Margaret Mary, you've got, you gave me a lot to think about. Too much. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you've, you've mentioned it already, but the best thing that, that really we can do to change things, and this would be the best time to do so would, would be to speak out against it. Um, how, how do we go about doing that? Well, there are um, marvelous Catholic groups, which unfortunately the church for the most part, some churches allow them to put their literature in the back of the church, but uh, check out a call to action, future church, women's ordination conference, Catholic woman priest. And you're wondering what Catholic woman priest, where are they? Back in 2002 on the Danube River, there was an open-minded Catholic bishop. Now, this had to be done in secrecy because obviously he would be excommunicated from the church. Mm -hmm. So they went out on a boat on the Danube River, and there were women there that uh, wanted to be Catholic priests and as well Catholic bishops. And we've all heard of the term apostolic succession, which goes back to Peter. Mm -hmm. So because this bishop was a regular official bishop, when he ordained those women that wanted to be bishops, that means now they themselves can ordain future bishops, future woman priests. And uh, in the United States, there's about 250. And they, they go from the United States uh, uh, and as well uh, over in Europe. Uh, right now, there's none in the Buffalo area. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it really would give you a flavor to see what it would be like. They basically have to run, run out like um, other spaces, you know, to, to hold like maybe there's like another church that's closing or mm. whatever. And um, there, there's so many times which really it's, it's so nice. You have these other uh, faith denominations that will like open themselves up you know, and allow them to use room. Mm. Uh, yeah, they might have to rent it, but I mean, at least they allow them um, space. Mm. And that's the same thing with the sister Joan Chittister. Oh my God, she is a live wire. Mm. And um, she was over uh, in Scotland. She's been in Ireland. And right away, the big church officials, wherever if she was, you know, scheduled to talk at a Catholic church, that mm. has to be, it, that just is completely closed down. Mm-hmm. So then she'll end up uh, maybe at an Episcopal church or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And of course she packs them in. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it's just, it, it could be such, our Catholic church could become such a more vibrant, um, a real authentic church. And let's face it, if women are there, wouldn't it really be something to hear a woman give a homily mm-hmm. and uh, a particular uh, reading, uh, gospel reading that you've heard a thousand times, but it's only been presented from the aspect uh, of a man? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And as as you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself with with my own I guess, business and my own way of life and and how I work with clients and my patients, I, I, I guess it'd be bold for me to say, but I feel as though I've been doing God's work. Um, and you know, I, I, I'd be curious if, if I was allowed to be a priest within the Catholic church, if I would have been by now, you know, and, and doing similar things and, and the impact I could have had that's, sure. that's minimalized yeah. because of because of um, men in the church. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then the church uses the excuse, well, we can't have women priests because that would be, we would have to start something new. No, <laughs> it, it's right there with 
It's still, it's happening whether you want it or not. Yeah. Oh. Oh my goodness. Margaret Mary, you're amazing. Thank you for doing all of your work that you're doing and, and, and sharing, sharing the truth, sharing the word of God. I, I'm curious to know if, if my listeners want to know more, you shared some books, but where could they go to maybe learn more from you? Where, where could they be more in your energy? Oh, yes. My website is yourradicaltruth.com, yourradicaltruth.com. And I do have um, blog um, articles there and as well other shows that I've done. And my book, if they'd like to read that, I have both. uh, I have an addendum in the back of, of this book, and it really thoroughly gives research from not only watching uh woman videos uh, from women's ordination uh, to the latest um, Catholic uh, books that are written uh, by sisters as well, even mm-hmm. like going through like a catacomb and they look at this whole aspect of um, uh, what's, you know, written on the walls in relation to women's past history. But my book, it's called Your excuse me, it's called Scandal in the Shadows, Mm. the original priest, Mother Mary. And I wrote it specifically for the lady of the Catholic Church. I want you to experience this wonderful truth. Mm. Mm. I'm so excited to get my hands on it. Thank you so much for being here, for being you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, very much so. I I can't wait to see how your work and the work of so many other women finally speaking out and and over centuries of speaking out come to fruition and bring, bring the earth that we all want to have. Oh, definitely. Bolden.